light of infinite. So much of Amuna, faith, and connectedness revolve around sleep and dreams. At least for me. In moments of faithlessness and doubt, I sometimes get overwhelmed with anxiety and find it hard to sleep. Thoughts are racing through my head, and I find it hard not to think of things from every angle. It's a cycle that is sometimes tough to quiet, or at least enough to slip into slumber. Dreams too, however far out, are often connected to the state each of us are in at that time. Sigmund Freud's psychoanalytic approach to oneirology, the scientific study of dreams, is that they are partially drawn from experiences and stimuli in the waking world. He says that dreams are a roadmap to the unconscious, reflecting our deepest desires and wishes. It's written in Perish Harokeach that a person's spiritual stature can be recognized through their dreams. Even when we are doing nothing, meaning during sleep, our thoughts may still be that Hashem is standing over us. The way I see it, we can create sound sleep and healthy dreams by strengthening our amuna, our faith, and bitachon, trust. In this parasha of Ve'yetze, we see Yaakov having his famous dream, where Hashem is speaking to him and standing over him at the top of a ladder that reaches to the heavens, upon which the angels are ascending and descending. This is the Hebrew month Kislev, when we read about these famous dreams. The ladder, wrestling with the angel, Yosef's dreams with his brothers, Yosef interpreting the dreams of the chief butler and the chief baker in Egypt, and two years later interpreting Pharaoh's dreams in such a way that he gets appointed to be the governor of Egypt, second only to the king himself. Sefer Yitzhah associates the month of Kislev with sleep, as the nights start to feel longer. At night, one can be drawn to the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, and busy themselves with desires that take them further away from being connected to the light of the infinite. As it's stated in the Zohar, when the night is split, meaning at midnight, and a call goes out like birds caught in a trap, so too men are caught. But on the other end, there's an opportunity in darkness to connect on a deeper level, to wake up from one's spiritual slumber. The Khatam Sofer teaches that the first day of the month of Kislev falls exactly 40 days after Sukkot. He calls it a mini Yom Kippur, containing in it the power to help us change our negative habits. The Zohar and Rabbi Nachman stress the importance of Tikkun Chatzot, the Midnight Lamentations, which is also the time King David would play his harp and compose his psalms, the Tehillim. This act of lamentations that shifts sleep and dreams from a place of Freudian Yetzirah desires to an elevated space of rejuvenation and connection. There are many interpretations regarding Haramoria, the Temple Mount where Yaakov gathered 12 stones together, placing them under and around his head, and witnessing them miraculously fuse into one stone. This is where he had his dream, the same place where his father Yitzchak laid on the altar prepared to sacrifice his life. The space of the Evan Shetiah, the foundation stone of creation, the place where the world was born, where the Garden of Eden was, where the two Beit HaMikdash, the two holy temples were, and where the final Beit HaMikdash will be. Yaakov calls this place Beit El, literally the house of God. In his vision, he saw it as the entrance of heaven, and he intended to build it as a gateway to heaven. The Torah says, Behold, Hashem was standing over him, blessing him in his dream. Behold, I am with you. I protect you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Yaakov wanted assurance that he would be protected on his journey. The Zohar asks, Why Hashem appeared to Yaakov only in a dream? It says, How could it be that the holy Yaakov, the chosen of the patriarchs, in such a sacred place, God was revealed only in a dream. Yaakov was not yet married, and Yitzchak was still alive. You may wonder why, after he was married, it's written, I saw in a dream. This was because he was outside Israel, and Yitzchak was still alive. Therefore, it's written that he dreamt. Afterwards, when he came to the Holy Land with the tribes and the barren woman, he was perfected with them, and be a joyful mother of children. And it's written, a God appeared to Yaakov, and God spoke to Israel in the vision of the night. The reason why this is a significant question is because we see other visions in the night, a lower level revelation, 
through dreams with folks like Avimelech, Lavan, and Balaam. One reason the Zohar gives is because Yaakov was not yet complete, he wasn't married. Once married, he received higher level revelations. We also see that he had not yet merited to become a leader because he wasn't prepared to face things head on. When Esau entered his father's tent, Yaakov exits through the other door. When Esau threatens him, Yaakov flees. At that point, he didn't yet have the characteristics needed to be a leader. Having faith throughout hardships is difficult. We have to tap into faith in those moments just the same, because the ups come from the downs, and we need to remain faithful so that the downs eventually don't feel bad at all. It's only the weight that we allow it to carry that makes it as heavy as it seems. But when we remember, it will all be for the best, and it will all be good, that is when we can make it feel weightless. Hashem is promising Yaakov that he will do what he promised, but even in the journey towards that, he will not forsake him. And only later, when Yaakov encounters the angels in another dream in the next parasha, Vayishlach, is he renamed Yisrael, because he struggled with a divine being and prevailed. It was the test for him to become Yisrael, for him to lead a nation to father the 12 tribes. When Yaakov stands on the holy ground and sees the ladder, he doesn't ask for extravagant things or wealth, as most of us would, given such an opportunity. Instead, he humbly says, If God remains with me, if he protects me on this journey that I am making, and gives me bread to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safe to my father's house, the Lord shall be my God. The Rabag explains that it's not fitting for a person to be eager for wealth. Rather, he should be content with what's essential. Just as we see with Yaakov, who asks only for what is essential. Similar to what we read in Mishle, give me neither poverty nor riches, feed me with food convenient for me. This was the prayer of Yaakov, a humble life connected to Hashem, not one connected to desires and wealth, in which one prays to God to quench the insatiable thirst for escape from the challenges of life that help us grow spiritually. In the next verse, Yaakov says, and this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's abode, and of all that you give me, I will set aside a teeth for you. Maaseh Hashem explains that the word kol here means whatever, implying a satisfaction with whatever he had or will receive. With Avram, Hashem blessed him using the word bechol, with all, in a similar way, to be content with all he had. Esav, on the other hand, did not use this word, but he used the word rav a lot, because he was not content with fate, but focused on escaping life and cheating fate. Yaakov, using the word kol, which implies all that you give me, is stressing that all he wants and needs beyond Torah is bread and clothing. Yaakov represents the Yetzir Tov, the good inclination and spirituality, and Esav, the Yetzir Hara, evil inclination and materialism. We are meant to learn from their stories that we have to focus on the good, on asking only for what we need, not what we want, which would be allowing the Yetzir Hara to lead. This is how we could stay in a space of faith and gratitude, instead of losing focus and falling into a space of want and unhappiness when we may not receive what we think we deserve. Yaakov didn't desire more than the essential, nor was he tempted by such things. He just wanted to be connected and not forsaken. As Rashi explains that a person who has to beg for his bread is called forsaken, as it's written in Tehillim. I have not seen the righteous forsaken and his seed begging for bread. I love this epic insight from Rabbeinu Bachya. This is what Sadiqim ask Hashem. They do not ask for luxuries, but only for what is essential, that without which a person cannot live. As is known, a person who seeks luxuries is subject to all types of confusion. Therefore, a person who fears Hashem should be happy with what he has and be content with less, and should not lust for luxuries. Instead, he should be happy with his awe of Hashem, and know that had it not been for this fact that man's inclination is for evil from his youth, so that he desires all the wealth and honor in this world, he would not have wanted any of the luxuries and would have not been content with necessities, because what is necessary is given by Hashem each day. This is, as we see, with the mana, they gathered it for themselves each day, because they were not able to set aside mana for any length of time. 
and not even for one day to the next, as they trusted Hashem, He provided for them each day. We see with our own eyes how the world is conducted, with great and marvelous wisdom. Hashem takes care of His creatures and gives them what's essential. Whatever is needed more is more plentiful, and whatever is needed less, such as pearls and precious stones, is not as common in the world. But food which is necessary is common, for you will find wheat in the markets and streets, and so with water which is more necessary than food. As for air which is more necessary than water, you will not find a place without air. So we see that the more needed a thing is, the more available it is in this world. That's why Yaakov asked for bread to eat and clothes to wear. They are essential. He asked for the minimum, which is the way of the tzaddikim. He did not ask for luxuries because the Torah detests them, to the extent that even a king should refrain from them, as it states, only let him not have too many horses, and not too many wives, and he should not have an exceedingly great amount of silver and gold. Food and clothing played a part in Yaakov's receiving Yitzchak's blessings, trading lentils for the bracha, the blessing of the bechor, the firstborn, and wearing Esav's clothes while bringing food to his father. Both food and clothing were affected by the sin in the Garden of Eden, our having to toil for our bread and our awareness of our nakedness and the clothing that we wear to hide it. Our post-edenic state puts physicality and the need to work for our food as one of our difficulties, but we must know that we are meant to spiritualize the material. This in and of itself, a form of teshuvah coming from the word return, it's not just we who return to Hashem, but through our acts we have the ability to return all that the Infinite One has given us in this world back to a higher place, back to the source. It said that Yaakov had the same pure and holy countenance as Adam prior to the eating from the tree of knowledge, good and evil. As we covered last week, Yaakov is connected to life, both living in this world and living in it with a focus on its connectedness to the next world. He's tied to the tree of life through his humility, his visions, and sitting in the tent learning Torah. While Esav, as we covered last week, is connected to death, as explained in Breshit Rabbah in the verse, mourn the ones inching towards death. Esav is connected to the tree of death. In Breshit we read, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He, man, shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise this heel. And as we know, Yaakov was grasping Esav's heel. So he was named Yaakov. Yaakov and heel, Akev, share the same root. And we learn this, that Yaakov's mission and ours to never let the Sitra Akra, the other side, be victorious and trap the soul waiting for rectification. Otherwise, we become trapped by our lust for wealth, hooked by money and all the falsehoods that come from focusing on it. As Wu-Tang Clan's famous anthem goes, cream, cash rules everything around me. Barbanel explains that the sin of Adam and Cain is that they weren't content with the simple life, with what they were given. They strove for greater things above and beyond what they needed, and this is what led to the generation of dispersion, the Tower of Babel. The tower represented a lust so great that it inspired an attempt to reach the heavens and to be equal to God. Yaakov's dream was the holy version of the Tower of Babel, a ladder with its feet on the ground that reached the heavens, with the angels ascending and descending, with an Itaruta de Latata, Aramaic for arousal from below. This is an initiative taken by a person through performing mitzvot, the commandments that elicit a reciprocal response from Hashem. This is where we could see Hashem's Hashkachaprati, Divine Providence, the Holy One's ongoing active participation in our lives. As Ramam explains, Hashem chooses in these moments to reveal Himself to an individual. Humility and gratitude strengthen bitachon and emunah. They are what keeps us connected and reveal a bit more of the Shekhinah that is in concealment in this world. In the Talmud it says, Rabbi Eliezer the Great would say, Whoever has bread in his basket and says, What will I eat tomorrow? is of little faith. This is painting a picture of someone who has what they need, but they want more. They lack bitachon, they lack trust. The Yitzhar attempts us to cheat fate, which would essentially be taking mana for the next day. 
But the Torah says when the Israelites would take the extra mana, it would always spoil. It's human nature to want more, to be scared of not having enough. Our fear makes us as if we have long-term memory loss. We forget to lean on faith and see that historically, things eventually work out for us. We can take the reassurance into the present moment and feel comforted to know that once again, we will have what we need. Three times a day, we have the opportunity to remind ourselves of this. When in the Ashrei prayer, we say, You open your hand and satisfy every living thing with your favor. We say it to remember that Hashem didn't only create the world in the beginning, but sustains it at every moment, breathing new life into each of us. And it is this faith that we receive all that we need from Hashem that makes us richer than any material gain. The mana represents having that faith in the present, living and experiencing the now with gratitude, dreaming in the present, not worrying or dreaming about the future. This isn't to say one shouldn't work and pray towards what one needs and wants. We all have different paths and different levels of wealth, both spiritual and physical. Some are meant to be physically wealthy. It's those people that can complete Hashem's desire for us to give to the poor and to build community and love and to spread the Torah. Each person knows where their desire for wealth comes from, whether it's a place of wanting to give or a place of constantly wanting to take. Not everyone is able to balance the spiritual and material to the extent that wealth tests each of us. For those, they are better to take some of their focus off their desire for money and toiling toward it and putting it into toiling towards Hashem, their connection with the Creator. Through living and learning Torah, connecting through tefillah, prayer, tehillim, psalms, and tzedakah, charity, even the poor are commanded to do so. There's a story which Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Vizhnet shared regarding what Hashem told Yaakov, for I will not forsake you until I have done that which I have spoken to you. He shared that there was a chassid that came to Rab Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev, who was once extremely wealthy, but had fallen into a series of misfortunes and debts. The Rebbe suggested that he buy a lottery ticket, and God willing, he will be helped through that. The chassid replied that he didn't doubt the Rebbe if this was his advice, and he had full faith in it, but that it could take years for him to win through lottery tickets, and the creditors would surely be after him before he won his fortunes back. And beyond that, he had a daughter to marry off, and that too was an expense that he could no longer afford. So Rav Levi Yitzchak promised him that even before he won the lottery ticket, that Hashem would make money come his way. The chassid took his leave and of course immediately bought a lottery ticket. On his way home, he stayed for a night at an inn. As it turns out, a certain powerful nobleman was also staying in. That night, the noble dreamt that there was a Jew staying in the same inn, that he had a winning lottery ticket, and that he should find a way to exchange his apparently valueless ticket for the winning lottery ticket that the chassid had in his possession. The noble woke and realized it was just a dream, so he fell back into slumber. When he fell back asleep, he had the same exact dream. And this time when he woke up, he ordered his servant to find if there was a Jew staying in the same inn, and if so, to bring him immediately. The servant found the chassid and brought him to the noble's room. The noble then asked him if he was in possession of a lottery ticket. When the chassid confirmed that he had, the noble suggested they exchange tickets and that he would even pay the chassid a few gold rubles on top of whatever the ticket had cost. When the chassid confirmed that he had a ticket, the noble suggested that they exchange tickets and that he would even pay the chassid a few gold rubles on top of whatever the ticket had cost. The chassid refused, saying, Even if you give me that number of rubles several times over, I will not exchange tickets with you. The noble was so determined to get his winning ticket that he kept increasing his offer until it reached 1,000 rubles, but the chassid still refused. At this point, the noble was livid and ordered his servant to seize the ticket and hand it over to him. After seeing this, he thought for a moment and decided to have mercy on the chassid and said, Look, I don't want to really rob you altogether. Here, take the thousand gold rubles that I had offered you, as well as my lottery ticket. The chassid, feeling distraught, reluctantly accepted both the money, the ticket, and the divine providence that occurs in all things, and went on his way thinking, this too is for the best. He continued home and married his daughter in lavish style that he would not have been able to do previously. Not long after this, the ticket which the noble had forced upon him won a great sum of money. He knew it was then time to visit the Rebbe, Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev. 
Upon his arrival, the Rebbe greeted him and said, I saw your luck was running low, indeed. So I had to send along an angelic master of dreams to persuade the noble to exchange tickets with you. I could see that his ticket was going to win and not yours. As for the thousand gold rubles he gave you in addition, that is because you had to marry off your daughter soon, and that's why you were granted a little salvation first, then later a great salvation. The Chassid returned home and became more prosperous than he ever had been before. Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Vizhnitz told this story to illustrate the meaning of the Pasuk that even until the redemption that Hashem spoke of to Yaakov, he will not forsake him and will show him salvation in the meantime. When everything is running smoothly, it's easy to feel faithful because everything seems aligned. It's in those times that we can get shaken up and fall from on high back to a space of humility, back to a space of questioning, so that we can remember that it is all from the hands of Hashem, and that all that we do have has to be connected back to the source. We are meant to spiritualize the material. This is our divine mission. Dive in deeper at lightofinfinite.com.